The reading is from Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. And this can be found on page 1012 in the Red Bibles. So Mark chapter 9, verses 14 to 29. When they, that's Jesus, Peter, James and John, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? he asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son, who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray as we begin. O gracious Father, would your word speak to us this morning, we pray. Wherever we've come from, whatever has been going on in our lives this week, would you speak into our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, how many of you have seen the Superman film, Man of Steel? 
It's 10 years old now, uh, so you may not have seen it, but it was the first of a new sort of series of Superman films in 2013. The first Henry Cavill Superman, and there won't be any more of those. It generally got mixed reviews, and one of the big critiques of the film was how much destruction Superman's city faced when he fought the bad guy, General Zod. In fact, it was such a critique of the film that a technical consulting company used various American cities to model roughly how much damage was caused. And they reckoned it was somewhere in the region of $700 billion. If you don't believe me that this is a critique that keeps coming up, in January this year, an insurance lawyer spoke to Vanity Fair about it. And he said, the quote on there, General Zod, that's the bad guy, he's trying to terraform the earth. To me, that seems like an act of war. And so I can tell you now there won't be any money coming from insurance companies to pay for that damage. So where's the money going to come from? $700 billion of damage Superman and General Zod did to their city. Superman may have saved the earth in stopping General Zod, but he's bankrupted his city. But come on now, I hear you say, Superman, he can't be expected to put the city back together again, can he? You know, he's there to save the world, not to fix it. And it's not as if he could fix it just by looking at it, is it? Come on, Jack. Ah, but that's where you'd be wrong, you see. That's where you'd be wrong, because... In the 1987 film, Superman 4, Superman repaired the Great Wall of China just by looking at it. So if you're a big Superman fan, here's a nice little trivia for you, if you're not, bear with me. So you see, Superman, he has the power to fix the city after it's been destroyed. He just chooses not to. He has the power to do it with his Superman eyes. He just chooses not to. Now, believe it or not, having the power to do something and choosing not to, that will come back up in the sermon later. Keep a beady eye out for it and see if you can find it. But on to the passage itself. There are two levels to this passage, two ways we can view it. A big picture and a little picture. Big picture and little picture. And we'll look at each of those in turn. But firstly then, a big picture view. And it helps to see the passage immediately before our one today. If you've got your Bibles open, you can see the passage immediately before ours today is the transfiguration. It's a big word, but Jesus goes up a mountain with three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, and there he is, transfigured. His clothes appear a dazzling, bright, white. His disciples see him in a new light. The two great Old Testament prophets, Moses and Elijah, appear beside him, and God the Father appears too in a cloud, just like in the Old Testament. And the Father speaks. He says, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. The Father proves that Jesus is his Son with his authority, with his word. 
his son with his authority, with his word. And yet all the time this is going on, today's passage shows us that down below the mountain, things are much darker. Suffering and strife and evil spirits seem to have the power down there, not God. The other nine disciples who haven't gone up the mountain with Jesus, they seem powerless in the face of this evil. If the transfiguration gives us a glimpse of God's kingdom, this passage reminds us creation is still groaning under sin. And this great contrast then between the bright heavenly mountain and the dark valley below is shown powerfully in Raphael's great painting of the transfiguration. It's hard to see it, but if you can see, Jesus is up at the top, and down below, the attempted driving out of the evil spirit is happening. Here in his big picture, Raphael shows us the big picture that these two passages are meant to show us. Jesus has come to bring light into darkness, to fight the devil, to win the great cosmic battle between good and evil. And it's easy to lose sight of that side of things, particularly here where the English language doesn't help us. Because as Tim said before, in the original Greek, there's lots of power language being used here. The phrase to be able to and to have power to, in the Greek, that's the same word. In the original Greek, that's the same word. And if we think about it, although we have two different words for that in English, it does kind of make sense to us, even if it's not so obvious. We wouldn't normally phrase it like this, but to be able to do something, we need to have the power to do it, don't we? If we want to lift up a heavy box or a chair or something like that, we need to have the power in us to be able to do it. You know, the power in our muscles, or we might be too weak, too weak to do it. To drive a car at 60 miles an hour, my car needs to have the power to be able to do it. The root word here is dynamos, where we get our word dynamite from. And our passage is littered with power. Where the Father says to Jesus, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us, he could be saying, if you have the power, take pity on us and help us. In verse 28, the disciples could be asking Jesus, Jesus, why didn't we have the power to drive the Spirit out? The big picture in our passage today is that Jesus has the power. He is God's Son, the Father's authoritative Word. We've seen that on the mountain, and the Father says, this is my Son. Listen to Him. And we see it in the valley, don't we? When Jesus commands the Spirit to come out, it has no choice. It must listen to Him. Jesus is God, coming to free the world from sin and evil through his victory. Jesus has the power.
And our passage today, it even gives us a hint of how Jesus is going to do that. Have you seen that language when the evil spirit comes out? What do people think? People think the boy is dead. Yet Jesus takes him by the hand and raises him up. It's the same word the angels use when the women visit his empty tomb. He has risen. See, this, this boy is a, is a picture of all of us, this big picture. Lost sinners in our lost and fallen world. But Jesus, Jesus is God's Son, come down from heaven, reached down, and in his death and in his resurrection, he takes us by the hand and he lifts us up to be with him. When we put our trust in him, we share in his resurrection, in his great victory over evil and death. And we can know the great hope that his resurrection promises to us, that death and destruction, what we see in this valley, that they don't have the last word. Jesus does. All those who trust in him will one day say with him, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Every believer in Jesus has that hope of victory over sin and death in the power of Jesus. That's the big picture here today. But secondly, we also have the little picture. You know, sometimes people who are good at big big picture stuff, well, they get so caught up with it that they lose sight of all the little pictures along the way, don't they? They have a grand plan, and any individual situation or any individual person who gets in the way, well, they're just an inconvenience to be removed, Even though Jesus knows the big picture of why he's here, even though he knows his great purpose, each and every individual he meets along the way, every little picture still matters to him. And that's such good news for this man and his boy. When Jesus comes down from the mountain, he sees this large crowd standing with his nine disciples, arguing with these teachers of the law. The man and his boy have really been completely lost sight of in the middle of all that. And Jesus' cry, you unbelieving generation, well, it's, it's aimed at them all, at all the people there. All they can do is argue. Even his nine disciples have failed. When the boy's father says, if you can do anything, if you have the power, take pity on us. Well, we see how even he, even he is half-hearted. He's come to Jesus not, not with a clear faith, but out of desperation. When you compare this passage to the one before, you see how far we've fallen out of the clarity and authority of the mountain into the murkiness and doubt of the world. 
And yet in the presence of Jesus, this desperate father, he's the one we sympathize with the most. Why is that? Well, because he's the one we see ourselves in most, isn't he? Isn't he the one we see ourselves in? He's just like us. His honest and his desperate cry, well, in verse 24, that has echoed into people's hearts for 2,000 years, hasn't it? Those words, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Perhaps you're someone here today who, you know, you've known Christians or Christianity for a long time. But you know you've never believed. Something just hasn't clicked. Something just hasn't worked. It just hasn't happened. It doesn't seem right for you. Well, the words of the Father here, they are for you. You can say them to God. You can say these words, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Jesus doesn't expect perfection from this man. He doesn't expect the man to have it all sorted. He just needs the man to realize he needs him and to say these words. Jesus sees our faltering hearts and helps us when we call out to him, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. In the final scene of our reading, the last two verses, we move from the crowded valley into a private room. Just Jesus and his disciples now there together. And here they ask him, Jesus, why weren't we able to drive out the evil spirit? It's a fair question. If you flick back to chapter 6, verse 7, you'll see Jesus has sent them out with authority over evil spirits. So why doesn't it work now? Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer. That's how our section ends. But, But wait, what on earth does that actually mean? Jesus says it as if we're supposed to know. Well, maybe it goes back to those issues of belief and power. Because here's a question for us today. What power does a believer have that a non-believer doesn't? What power does a believer have that a non-believer doesn't? The answer is prayer. It seems from what Jesus is saying that these nine disciples weren't praying. Isn't that daft? They were trying to serve Jesus, to represent him in this messy world, and yet they weren't praying. That's daft, isn't it? We know that, and yet how often do we do exactly the same thing? Prayer is our access down here in the valley to the top of the mountain. Prayer is the believer's power. Think of those words of the boy's father. They're not long, not complicated, are they? I do believe. Help my unbelief. How many times would those words have helped us? 
Whenever we're tempted to deny our faith at work, at school. For those of you heading off to uni, they keep these words close. You will be tempted. What about in the dark watches of the night or in those moments of deep stress when our brain goes haywire and we don't know what we're thinking or what to do? These words are simple. I believe. Help my unbelief. When our faith seems weak and fragile, hanging by a thread, we have the power to say these words. I believe. Help my unbelief. Prayer is the believer's power. To choose not to use it, well, that's just as mad as, mad as daft as Superman choosing not to fix his city. We don't have to use those exact words. We can use any we like. That's the joy of prayer. We can pray to our Father whenever we like, wherever we are, anything. God loves to hear us. And he's given us the power to do it. So why wouldn't we? In fact, let's pray together right now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the power of prayer. We thank you that with that power we can come to you. We can bring all our cares and concerns to you. We can do anything in our prayers with you. Lord, help us to pray to you wherever we are, whenever we are, whatever we're going through, however we're feeling. Help us to have that knowledge that we can pray to you. And help us in those times where we feel our unbelief is growing in our hearts. I believe, help my unbelief. And we thank you so much for your power, your great power which you sent down in your son, that he has died and him risen again to defeat the power of darkness, that in him we have the hope that nothing will separate us from your love, that in you we have conquest over sin, over death. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.